0: and welcome to Annasbrook Church. We hope that this message from our lead pastor, Graham Heslop, both empowers and encourages you. To hear more from our church, make sure you subscribe or visit our website at annasbrook.co.nz for a service near you. Felt like saying uh, in the build up to today, felt like saying what the Apostle Paul once wrote, a version of it anyway. I feel like just saying to everybody, grace and peace to you in Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you and Jesus Christ. What a God, I eh, who, would, who would speak to us in the opening letter, many letters like that, that he wants you to have grace and he wants you to have peace. Man, what a God. Father, we thank you for being the one true God. And the surprise, the shock of all shocks, was when we surrendered, we discovered, and, and even before surrendering, discovered you're such a loving God. You, you're omnipotent, you're you're power does, it knows no end. You're ever benevolent. You're totally good. You're totally everywhere. I I pray that our spirits today would understand you're right here with us. More than that, you're living in us. Thank you for the honor that has come through Jesus Christ. So I speak grace and peace, life-changing grace and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if I get back to the guitar, I could take this thing on the road. I could go do a one-man show or something. It would be quite interesting. I shared a story last week with you, if you uh, weren't here, a couple of stories actually about mistaken identity involving my daughters. And if you weren't here, you missed out on that story. It was a a doozy. Um, It was one where in a a hospital, my oldest daughter, I I got mistaken for her partner, and the doctor felt very embarrassed. I went to the hospital with Ruby and said, oh, this is your partner? And... um, Ruby was also needing treatment for being sick in her own mouth, but I've got another couple of stories about it. They've got nothing to do with the message, because Rebecca and I got married really young. I was eighteen and she was twenty, and I, I was eighteen, but I looked seven. Like I, I honestly, for some reason, I got to sixteen, looked right seventeen, looked right eighteen, as like became a child. It was very, it was quite weird. I don't know what was going on. Uh, but Rebecca and I, we, one of our family members actually shouted us to Hawaii for our honeymoon, which was pretty awesome. And I obviously wanted to impress my wife, who was two years older than me. Um, it, it means something at that age. You know, you're always trying to, you know, live up to it. That's what I felt anyway. I'm always trying to pretend I'm mature or something. So I said to her, like, hey, I'll take care of all the admin of the hotels and stuff. Like, when it's time to check out, look, I'll just, I'll take care of it. So we hadn't even got to Hawaii, we were in Auckland in transit, spent, stayed the night, and then checked out the next morning. I went the next morning, Rebecca was just over my shoulder, and I just went up confidently, went up to the counter and just said, oh, hi, I just want to check out for Mr and Mrs Hislop. And the lady behind the counter just started typing and just checking, I, I said the room number, and then she just kind of looked up a little bit confused, and then she asked me in front of my new wife, oh, are you checking out for your parents? And, uh, yeah, and, and what actually took place was, this happened again in Hawaii, when we were in a mall, Moana Mall, Moana. It's, it's a big mall, and um, there were some missing children. And I'm not making the story up, a security guard approached me and Rebecca and said, have you guys lost your parents? <laughs> all right, nothing to do with the message at all. John 10.10 says that the thief comes only to steal kill and destroy but Jesus said but I have come that you may have life and life what abundantly in the in the 21st century church we have tried to make sense of a verse like that and talked ourselves out of aspects of it first of all we start by talking ourselves out of maybe the potency of the enemy's ability to steal from us take from us Where we see things like that taking place in our life, we no longer immediately connect it to perhaps a spiritual reality or realm. Instead, we just maybe call it bad luck or something happened. I I think in, in most cases, Christians are better versed with karma than they are with the Gospels, believing maybe something in their previous lives has come back to haunt them. But in the same way as understanding maybe what things that we come up against, We do exactly the same. Is it warm in here? No, it's just me. It's the anointing. Uh, Or a sweatshirt, either one. Um, We do the same thing with Christ's words when he said, I came to give you life. And life, what? Abundantly. And we think, well, the abundance, I don't always see it and I don't know how to experience it and so therefore I will um, do the best I can to to reconvert, retranslate what I understand it to be. But what if it's actually not that that's the problem? What if it's actually the fact that to Christ's abundant life, the church or the community of faith on on a whole has not found off ramps and pathways to the abundant life? What if the problem has been we've not actually discovered well in our own generation that it's actually a way? It's a practice. It's a life to live. It's actually a walking with Jesus that brings that abundance. Maybe it isn't, as Joshua said, directly related to our house, our car, or our bank account, or maybe it is. Maybe it's not just in the things that we go through, or maybe it is. But one thing's for sure, that unless we have an embodied way, right, it's just going to stay as a memory verse. And that is what this series about, what our whole pitch over these next two or three years about following Jesus is and this series about practicing the way is all about, that Jesus, he himself lived the abundant life, but he practiced a kind of life that was so different. So if we're going to get the abundant life, would it not make sense also to embrace the practices in which he actually lived? Would it make a difference? I guess that's what the series is about. And Last week I talked about one of the practices, I think we've talked about scripture, we've talked about prayer, and we talked last week about fellowship and community, or community and fellowship, understanding that this God who man rejected came to earth and instantly immersed himself amongst people again. Fascinating. That is just mind-bending, that God would even do that. First Corinthians 12, talks. Paul talks about it in a way. He says, you know, we'll show you the most excellent way. It's a way of love. If I speak in the tongues of angels, so you can like talk on a whole nother level, and I do, but I do not have love, I'm just a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. I might have the gift of prophecy and I can even fathom every mystery and all knowledge, but I, I can have a faith even that is moving mountains, but if I do not have love, I am nothing. I think the message says I've missed it. I, I think actually there's a disconnect. So there is a way... And love delights and love, love, love actually not in evil, but in the truth. And love protects and love trusts. And he goes on to say that there is three really powerful strands to understanding the kingdom. Faith, hope, and love. And he says the greatest of these is love. And if you think about that, that means there is a target. Love requires a target, and it's people. We don't just love objects, and we don't just love things. And of course, God, we love God. But in monks, that love is understanding this is actually embodied through relationship. It has to be expressed. I mentioned last week that Pete Scazzaro said that for Jesus, the essence of true spirituality is to love people well. If you can't love people well, then you're not truly spiritual. You're just operating in gifts. You're just operating in things. But to really understand it, Jesus said, a new command I give to you, I want you to love one another, not just your, your bestie, not just the one you see often, not just the one you get along with, with the similar personalities, and what's that strength finders? You know, if they've got the complementary strength finders gifts, love them. Now, Jesus even said that, I want you to love your enemies, and by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Notice it doesn't say, by your knowledge or your theology alone, it says, by your love. And in the, in the church today, the modern church, we quote 1 Corinthians 13 at weddings, but we seldomly see it practiced. We, we hear sermons on it, but we don't see examples of human beings breaking the boundaries that separate us into a radical, life-giving love. The Father's ultimate goal for us isn't to be superhuman or super religious or super pious, but to become love. God is inviting us into a journey to become love. That is God's vision for us in Jesus. So Christ's plan, his secret plan all along, that was that he was going to build a people of love. We would be known as a people of love. We would actually be a house of love. We would actually be a, a people called unto God himself, but in the world would express itself in who he was. That's the secret. No one can understand that part. You can have an organisation and a brand and a website, but if it's not love, it's not of essence the secret plan of God in the earth and love expressing itself through so many different ways. Ephesians 2.16 in the message puts it really well. Christ brought us together, not apart, not divided, but together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, look at these words, not shove away. And that was the end of what? Hostility. So my faith isn't hostile to one another, although the tactics of the um, opposite to the kingdom of God might be hostile to me. But that literally Christ came and preached peace to you. We were outsiders and peace to us insiders. And he's referring there to the Jewish people. And the outsiders were the, um yeah, excellent, brilliant. Gentiles, he's treated us as equals, and through him we share the same spirit, and get this, have equal access to the Father. Get that, get your head around that this morning. Get your spirit around that this morning. We've got equal access to God as anyone, anyone at all, through Jesus Christ. So that's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles, so you're no longer isolated and disconnected and without a plan and without direction. This kingdom of faith is now what? Your home country. So, so our home, our true home, is actually found through the kingdom. We're, not, we're not, only just, not only just citizens of New Zealand, but we're citizens of heaven. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here. With as much right to the name Christian as anyone. Now listen to this. You need to know that God is building a home. And he's using us all irrespective of how we got here and what he is actively building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation, and now he's using you, fitting you in, brick by brick. When I was young and someone called me a brick, um, that wasn't a compliment. It's like the word goma. It kind of left the 90s, the end of the 90s, but um, it's it's actually a compliment here. A stone, stone by stone, and Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. It's holding all the parts, all of us, together. We see it together, 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 as one, together. See, if I repeat the word, you start thinking about it, eh? Or you just want me to move on. We see it taking shape day by day, not instantly necessarily. A holy temple, a house of love, a people of love, built by God himself. All of us built into it a temple in which God is quite at home. So this house is made up of love, and it's built with Christ at the cornerstone, the foundation, and you and me are bricks. And that phrase there that I read, he's fitting us in. Really interesting. Have you ever watched a bricklayer in his craft or her craft? We, we did an addition to our home years and years and years ago with a home we owned. And we put on the back end of it, and they began to build the brickwork around the foundation. And I watched as it went on that it was not only uh, masterful and it was totally on plan, but it actually required the bricklayer to be uh, talented, gifted, creative in a sense. Had very clear parameters, but... The, you know, a sharp edge off there, or that, that bit's not where it should be, and so they'll whack it or put it through a, um, like a stone that cuts it, a grinder or whatever they may use. Um, that, that defect, okay, we can use that defect, because you're going to fit that bit of brick in, but we'll just cement through it to hold it all together. All the gaps and everything, that's imperfect, but it's going to be fitted in, even though that brick is so special on its own and valuable on its own, it served such a greater purpose because what? It was going to become the floor on which I added two rooms because Rebecca and I had a special gift of having lots of children. But it's just a brick, you know, and, and you don't think much of a brick. And I guess in some ways, we might not think much of ourselves. But when God grabs hold of your life, he doesn't just save you to sit isolated off in the corner so that one day he zips you off to heaven. He's always had in mind that you'd be part of something far bigger and far greater than your own. Something so more profound and powerful, but it is fundamentally relational. I want you to really get that. The church and the body of Christ is fundamentally relational, not just functional. We are family before function. We are actually hearts before we are business. And you feel that if you get into a church where there's lots of structure, sometimes that structure can become more prominent than the spirit. And praise the Lord, where the spirit is, there's freedom, but we want to put some structure around it so we don't just lose our way and start swinging off. Not chandeliers, but the organ maybe. But there's this marriage, but it will always be family before function. It will always be people before politics. It will, can I get an amen or something? Or do, you, do we want to be in the functional, oh no, I just love the function, I'd like to come in, and I'd like to leave. Why, why? Why? Why are we in a rush so often? Well, we might have an appointment, that's alright, that's all good, that's the exception. But the rule, a lot of the time is, like I talked about last week, we begin to treat God's things and God's people as transactional. As a consumer product. Mm. 1 Corinthians 12 says that now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, and there are gifts. I don't want you to be uninformed that when you were pagans before you were saved, that that you were led astray to mute idols, in other words, powerless things. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord unless the Holy Spirit has been active in your life. That's what it's saying. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them all. Okay, think about these bricks that I was talking about. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God who's building this house, this work. I'm paraphrasing as I go. To one there is given, through the Spirit, a message of wisdom. So one brick has this wisdom that is just from another world. To another, a message of knowledge meaning you know things that you wouldn't otherwise know because the Spirit... This happened to me a couple of weeks ago as I was um, about to minister at Saxton. I was driving around Monaco one Sunday morning, and I said to the Lord, is there anything I need to know about today? And believe it or not, this name Betty came to mind. And I thought, well, that will not be the Lord. It's actually quite funny because you, you do understand, right, the Spirit of God is working at a spiritual level in our lives until you become sensitive to spiritual things, you'll often just think it's you, your mind, the butter chicken you had the other night, okay? No, I'm I'm being very serious because I thought I just made that up. And then I thought, hold on, why would have I made up the name Betty? It's a very old name, really. And if you're young and called Betty, no offence. And so I just thought, I just parked it away. And then I went to the pre-service. I think I prepped, I went to the prayer meeting, got up to speak, and then suddenly... Betty comes back to mind, and I just say, hey guys, this is going to sound random, but is anyone here linked to anyone called Betty? And I was just like, now, on absolute, like, this brick is about to look so stupid, you know, but a lady lifted her hand, and I, and I was like, yes, far oh, fuel, and I said, what's the link? And she says, oh, my mum is called Betty. Okay, what's going on in your mum's life? So I began to pray for Betty and her daughter who was there. And actually, the granddaughter of Betty was there as well. And get this. When I said Betty, and I said, is anyone here called Betty? And then I began to speak a word over that person. The granddaughter, who's about 28, said to the mum, we're meant to be here. Why did she say we were meant to be here? She has not been to Ennisbrook uh, in decades and decades but she woke up in the morning and felt stirred to attend for no reason. She thought, I, don't, I just got to get to Ennisbrook today. She walked in the building. Meanwhile, God's speaking to me about Betty and isn't God good? I'm just a brick. I mean, I totally doubted it. I totally second-guessed it. But you go on to read here that there's gifts to everyone for all kinds of works and service, but God is at work. We are all one body. And look at right down the bottom, for we were baptized by one spirit as to form one body. And I want to tell you that really Paul painting a picture of people, a people of love, that out of that people of love, God is putting unique abilities and skills and and, and capabilities and graces into our oneness, but we'll never explore them if we keep isolating. We'll never actually be a people with an impact if we stay dispersed, never together. We've actually got to come into a relationship, into a powerful relationship. I love John Wimber who said in the church, in in this, he didn't use this phrase, but this people of love, everyone gets to play. Everyone has a role. But your gifts are actually probably for other people's benefit and their gifts are for your benefit God fits us in brick by brick, fellowship. So I talked about that last week in this way, that it's not just transactional relationships. I talked about the need to have those. You know, when you go to a supermarket, it's a transactional relationship, and you're going to keep going there if the product they give you is still correct and the price is still correct. But you have every right to forfeit that relationship if that changes. You can go find a different supermarket. And it's likely that if you're sick or unwell, pack and save, they're not going to show up. Or any other supermarket, I, I don't mean to defame. They're not going to rock up at your house and offer to pray for you and take care of you. It's because it's a transactional relationship. And you need them. And then there are relational relationships, which are built on what? I said mutual benefit. In other words, I've got a school my kids go to, but I've got a relationship with the people at that school now. Because Why? because we meet each other at a mutual level in line and we relate, okay, cool. Unfortunately, the church, the believers today operate in those two realms when it comes to the fellowship. They'll go and be there as long as there's a benefit of a product or two, they'll go there and be there if there is relational benefit, Well, Christ has actually called us in John 13 to a different level. A gospel of fellowship, it's called covenant love. Covenant, I talked about it last week, that it is not only what God did for us in making a covenant, but it's an agreement of a greater intimacy and also branded with a legal framework. Basically, I will love you And nothing in anything that happens, nothing that takes place is able to break my agreement to love you legally bound. Now we're not just talking about the laws of New Zealand and the property that you sold and the covenant on the land that you might have bought. This actually means something else. It means I will give myself away even if it kills me. Everyone's got Cloud and Townsend's book, Boundaries, running through their head. Hold up, hold on, hold on. Well, you see, there's a difference between covenant love and covenant trust. God, uh, in our fellowship, has not called us to trust each other with unlimited giving if you betray that trust. If you do something to harm me or someone else, trust may be lost. But yet, even then, even then, how hard is this? Have you ever been in a situation where someone... And faith has hurt you. I'll just put up my hand. And how hard is it to carry on, that the trust might be broken? Yet Christ continues to ask me, "What does He ask us? What He did in John twelve twenty four? Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Christ had a willingness to die." What what was in it for him? Death, death, and a bit more death. There was no guarantee you were going to respond to it. There was no guarantee you were going to actually relinquish and meet him at that level. But this was the bond of our relationship with him, and I feel like for the modern church, maybe we're not seeing some of the things God could do because the people of love, right, haven't been willing to die. The, the Christian is like when we entered the waters baptism, were we not entering into Christ's death? When, it's not a physical death I'm talking about necessarily, but it's dying to selfishness, dying to our pride, dying to our king, own personal kingdoms, and actually allowing that seed to go into the ground. And what did it, what did it say in the scripture? It said that if it does, pff, it's going to produce many seeds. Pff, explosion of life. Pff, multiplies. Is, is the multiplying effect that the church has been waiting for uh, in the world just waiting for someone who will give themselves away? It's gone really quiet, eh? Okay. <laughs> I've actually seen this in uh, my marriage to Rebecca. She's my first wife. And um, only wife. When I first got married, I used to think Rebecca needed to change. And some of the things about her really, really annoyed me so badly. Um, I woke up one night, the first year and a half of being married, maybe a year, to not being able to breathe, breathe. It was like 1.30 in the morning, and it was full on. And I opened my eyes, struggling for breath, and Rebecca was varnishing the headboard with linseed oil. It was a Rimu headboard and it was 1.30 in the morning. And I'm just a person, is anyone else here who just not only enjoys their sleep but needs their sleep? Anyone here? So um, I, I'm going, I just go, what are you doing? She goes, what does it look like? She was varnishing our headboard at 1.30. We had no kids at this stage. There is no practical reason for this at all. And, and I, I, would, I would tell you other things, but she's not here to defend herself. But I was like, she needs to change. Like this, there were things, man, used to push my buttons so, so bad, right? And so I, in the early days of our marriage, took upon one of my um, missio deo, my, my, my mission, my purpose in life, was to change her just a bit. You know, just to perfect her a little bit. You know, because I had a real good idea of how that would work. And I'm not joking, I'm telling you seriously. I used to even pray, Lord, please. That thing there just really annoys me. And so anyway, um, in my quest of um, changing Rebecca, uh, we went to a counsellor. And the counsellor just so happened to be a psychologist and a theologian, which was quite interesting. But I was there because I was really hoping this counsellor would pick up on some of the things she's doing that really got up my goat. And so I thought, this is going to be awesome, He's going to tell her what's what. And uh, let me just say this. Um, The theologian didn't do that. He actually said this. Whenever we feel like someone needs to change, be sure to understand it is you who was invited into change. Can you love a person who has lacquered a headboard at 1.30 in the morning? My capacity to love so small, because the answer is no, definitely not. I cannot love that, I cannot accept that, but these words cut to my soul, that God was inviting me in this moment to be a seed that would fall to the ground, and accept Rebecca for all of her OCDs, perfectionists, because I'm not a perfectionist, all the things and when I actually understood an acceptance of love for this woman that God has put into my life, and the fact is that I needed to change, guess what? We both began to change. Because love, does that mean that I give Rebecca total trust no matter what? No, if she breaches and breaks my trust, we're going to build from that level. But like I've already ascertained, God has called us to love one another as Christ has loved us so there are people in this fellowship that are here because God wants you to mature in some areas that if they were not here you would never mature in some of us have remained immature because we isolate ourselves god has actually got i know we feel like we can be the answer to everything in the world but it's not the case god actually requires us to be joined and co-joined and built into fellowship. And I want to touch on this. The problem, One of the problems for us as communities of faith in the recent years is that we've really only been as strong as what? Agreement. Have you ever had a disagreement with a family member, like a sibling? I have. I remember one with one of my brothers. And did it stop you being family? No, it did not. Did it need dealing with? Yeah, it did. But notice how you deal with it generally, nine times out of ten, in a different way because you're bound in a stronger level where are you bound by blood and even though you might have a falling out with a family member they're still family and even though you might need to front up and change and apologize or whatever no matter what the connection the fellowship has not been broken the church needs to stop building on agreement alone cuz we found out in covid That if we just bring another thought, another angle, a different view, our fellowship can be broken. And some of us here actually had to, one hand, uphold what we believe, but on the other hand, sow a seed of love. And even though it might not be my way, you know, like there were some new rules brought out just like last week, and I already got Instagram messages. One person wrote to me and said, I believe God's calling every single person who ever walks foot on this property to wear masks at all times. And I text back, and because that would, that would be a better way to protect people. So you've got this view. And then I'm thinking, I, I, Lord, I, Jesus, please, not again. So do you know what I did? I just text back and said, don't worry about it. Dave King's working through it now. <laughs> but it's not, that, it's not that we don't need to make stands. And it's, don't, it, and it's not that we won't have our own conviction. We're welcome to that. It's that if the body of Christ is only built on agreement, we're not truly family. Agreeing is powerful, but wouldn't it be better to be built on love? We love our love for one another. Um, I I see a couple of pitfalls. Joshua, do you want to come up? I just see a couple of pitfalls to practicing the way of love, practicing community. And I just want to just say, first of all, that if you think you can do it, out of your own strength and out of your own love, you are going to be bitterly, tragically disappointed. This is not a natural thing. I know some of you barely tolerate me. You know, you're, you're like, honestly, please, enough with the gym analogies, enough of having so many kids, you know? We get it, we get it. And, and, and I, I get it as well. And oh, naturally speaking, you might have every reason, to. but I stand here today as someone who actually needs your love. I don't. I don't need it like a needy person. I just know that I'm not actually made complete without having you, another stone, another brick, built in. Because you're going to cover at times for my imperfections. You're going to cover for where the gifts I the gifts I don't have. And you might need my love. Paul wrote this. It's really encouraging, okay? If you take anything away, maybe take this away. He was really struggling to uh, cause people to understand of this type of fellowship that would be beyond boundaries and beyond limitation. And he began to say that some people think that we are out of our minds, that we're commending ourselves, that we're just like going on and on and on about this kind of way that's different. But he says in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 5, for it's Christ's love that compels us. Paul was saying Christ's love. It echoes Philippians that said, if you've had any benefit of His love, any fellowship in the Spirit, then do likewise for one another. And in being like Christ, consider yourself as nothing. Laying it all down, Again, I repeat for the 15th time because it's 2022, not endless, endless amounts of trust. If your trust is broken, if you're being abused, if things are taking place, the scripture tells us what to do with that. But our default while pulling back trust is what? Buckets. Buckets. Rivers. Oceans. Of what? Christ's And the word compel in the Greek actually means this, it's beautiful. To hold it all together. The only thing that is going to hold us together in the family of faith, the people of faith, in the way of Jesus, is Christ's love working its way out in us. So we've got to keep being open to Christ's love in our own life. We've got to keep walking in the love, abiding in love, as he said in John 15, abiding in his word, abiding in his love, his love in us. But that is the only way You are not going to be able to do this. You're not going to be able to hold this all together. Same in your family. When you come up against something really powerful and really destructive, the enemy comes to steal, rob, and kill, steal, and destroy three of those things. You need Christ's love, and you need to tap into something that is greater to be able to love people beyond. It's the only way to forgive, it's the only way to stop hurting. And that also means not only not operating out of our own strength, but we've got to learn how not to judge. To prejudge, to during judge or post judge. In fact, Paul said in Romans 14, therefore let us stop passing judgment to one another or on one another. We're going to stop coming to a conclusion before it's time. Love conquers fear. And the Holy Spirit, if, you, if we let him, we'll do the convicting. But we actually gotta learn how not to judge, but to love. What? Is there someone in, in here that's Im- imperfect? Join the club. I'm the president of that club. Is there someone in here still trying to work it all out? Join the club. By the president of the club, I'm not saying I'm the top of the pile. I'm just saying the worst at it, maybe. Gotta let Christ's acceptance. And I think finally that we've got to understand when we get saved, okay? You understand not everything is automatic. Salvation, our place, our sonship is. But growing in that, walking in that. Danny Silk says this about relationships. He said, he referred to it in parenting as well, but in relationships, that our main challenge is what? Keeping our love on. So our human nature means that we've got to choose and walk in and abide in and offer love. I've got to keep my love on when I come to this gathering, when I interact with anyone, even out in the community. Because if Christ is alive in your heart, His love is there. His love is there. And we've just got to learn more and more. Faith is like this, you just choose to make a choice to step into it. That Betty moment, man, it took some courage. I just stepped into it. And it could have all fallen flat, been nothing at all. But it's amazing even with loving people when you step into it. So let's pray that God delivers us from the desire to want to change everybody. And let's also pray that God would see that if He's going to fit you in, there might be some things He wants to adjust. Trim. Let's pray that God gives us an ecclesial vision. That is a vision of the people of God, of the church, so that we don't just remain consumers, but we enter into a covenant. That what? I will enter into this relationship even if it kills me. (laughs) This is a challenging word. (laughs) We don't want to do it. But boom. Multiplication, boom, hope, Pfft. life, and I feel the Spirit inviting us into fellowship, into covenant love, for it is the way of Jesus. What if you were to practice it? What if you were to try this week, just this week? Okay, I'm going to love people who don't even love me back. I'm going to give for myself a little bit of my time, a little bit of my love, a little bit of my energy. I'm going to withhold that judgment. I'm going to abide in Christ's love so that I can do this. I'm going to walk in love. I want to pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the power of it. Um, it seems completely impossible, I've I'm got to say. Like this just is right out there. But God, it is a vision for a different kind of community. For a people of love. For a house of love. I'm gonna ask you, Holy Spirit, just to come and Yeah, have your way. Just open your heart if you would just for a moment. We are nearly done. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I just sense the anointing right now. Trust you enjoyed this message. And if you're wondering what the next step in your faith journey looks like, please get in touch. You can either visit our website or email us at info at annasbrook.co.nz.